everybody. Good morning. You're awake. You're alive. So good to see you. A massive kid. Mila Falcha. Good day on Chuck Solace. Balyal Clea. August on Uv. August on Jundial. Come on. Let's show our appreciation for our Dundalk family. Come on. We hear you Dundalk. And our Navin family. So good to be able to be with you today. It's amazing to think that we get to be one church in three locations. And if this is your first time here in Dublin or in Navin or in Dundalk, I just want to say you are specially welcome today. And today is a good Sunday because even though it's raining, something new is happening, everybody. We're starting a brand new series called Mission Matters. Mission Matters. And of course, it's a play on words because what we're going to discuss, what the journey we're going to go on, what we're going to wrestle with over the next few weeks is this idea that the church has a mission and that mission matters. And we're going to talk about the matters of that mission. What is that mission? What does it look like? What does God's word say? What's our potential part in this? And ultimately, can we really make a difference in our space and in our place? Now, part of what we're doing, what we're doing kind of to run alongside this is over the next three weeks in all three locations, we are celebrating a relationship that we have with a great organization called Compassion International. And what Compassion do is Compassion help, watch this, they help rescue children from poverty, everybody. I mean, what greater need could there be in our world than to help suffering children? And not just feed them for a day and to, you know, put a Band-Aid on their problem, but actually to educate them and resource them and feed them and give them the nutrition and to surround them with a community and to give them the hope and the help of the gospel. And so today in Dublin, we have compassion with us. Next week, they're going to be in uh, Navin. And the week after, they're going to be in Dundalk. And we want to do is we want to give each and every one of you, whether you're a Christ follower or not, an opportunity for just 30 euro a month to make a difference. Now understand, nothing of what you give comes to us. We, we've got nothing. We're like, we're like that friend, come on, that introduces you and the person you end up marrying. That's a good deal. How I many you need a friend like that in life? You know what I'm saying? Like, they, they don't try take her from you. Anybody? I'm being real right now. They're a good friend. They're happy to see you happy. And so our job is to make the introduction, and hopefully uh, God speaks to your heart, and together we can change someone's world. And if we change a whole bunch of someone's world, then maybe we can change the world. So that's what we're going to be kind of talking about in and throughout the messages 
over the seas. Also, heads up that this coming August, we are sending a short-term mission team to the nation of Brazil. Come on, let's hear it for Pastor Patrick O'Loughlin, our Dundalk team. We're super thrilled about this. So again, we get to send out some people who really are representing us. They're going on our behalf. We all can't go, but we can pray for them and we can pay for them. See how that works together? We can pray for them and we can help them to the various fundraisers they are doing to get there. We sent our first team just before COVID and for about 10, 12 days, they were able to go to different villages, pray for people, help the local church there, reach out to people and bring a little bit of the crack of Ireland, come on, to the indigenous islands of Brazil. So over the next few weeks, we'll be talking more about that also and you're going to hear more of that later in the service. Now, let me jump straight into today's content. And start off by saying this, when it comes to church, church is a loaded word. Depending on you, how you grew up, church can mean a lot of things. I was raised a Roman Catholic, so for me, a church was a building. That's the church. I grew up with watching my parents or grandparents in the car as they drive by a church building. Come on, my Irish people, they bless themselves. They drive by a graveyard, they bless themselves. In some cases, they drive by their favorite pub, they bless themselves. You know what I'm saying? That's, that's how it was in Ireland in the early days. And it was like, man, there's something special, something sacred, something holy about that building. Now, again, we understand that God can move in places and spaces and a place of significance. But ultimately, when you turn to God's word, what you find out is very clearly the church is not a place per se. The church is a people. Wherever the people of God are, that is the church. And if you're here, or in Navin, or in Dundalk, and you're part of Lighthouse Church, I want to say that you're church. You are church. You're the people that make... Lighthouse Church isn't an organization or entity. You are... Turn to the person next to you. That's Lighthouse. And if you're someone that's looking in, you're skeptical, or you're a new person, your first time... I want you to notice, you can belong here. You don't have to. There's no pressure, but you can belong to this. But I want to remind everyone that the foundation of who we are is that we as a people, we are the church. And because we're the church, and because the church has purpose, your people, your church means also your purpose. In other words, your life's purpose and the purpose that God has for the church aren't separate issues. And if we want as a church to flourish in all of God's purpose for us, and if we as individuals want to flourish in God's purpose for our individual lives, there's a part of which those things are connected, intersect, and work together. That's why as a church, we say our vision is to inspire, come on, ordinary people to an extraordinary purpose in Christ. So we're kind of locked in to each other's destinies in this way. Now what happens is, is when the church moves away from being the people of God on, for, on, uh, and the purposes of God, that's where all sorts of funky things, because some of the reasons why we push back, some reasons why maybe we've given up on church are when, is when the organization moves away from being centered on God's people and focused on God's purpose. So for the next few weeks, this is what we're going to wrestle with. Now, to kick off week one, let me ask you this question. Let me just throw the ball back in your court. Very open-ended question. Here it is. What do you love to talk about? What do you love to talk, you're sitting there thinking, I don't know, if you're here with a friend or a spouse, give a nudge and say, what do I love to talk about? Because they know. Because you never shut up about it. 
I mean, if you're, if you're someone that loves academia education, you're going to talk about those things. You're going to talk about the latest book you read, the latest article that came out, the latest research find. If you're someone who's passionate about music, you're going to talk about that. Maybe the nuances of, 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 of transition of keys or, or, or a favorite artist or a latest album. If you're someone that loves construction, engineering, you're always commenting on straight lines and how bridges work. And we need you, so don't, don't go anywhere. You know, if you're someone that loves sport, you're going to talk about sport. A lot of us love sport in this place. And uh, that's obviously an easy go-to, especially with the guys. The bottom line is, whatever it is you love to talk about, it becomes self-evident. Why? Because we love to talk about the things that we love. And when you really know something, when you really care about something, when you're really passionate about something, you want others to know about it also. And so what happens is we talk about it. And even if the other person isn't at the same or equal level of passion or interest as us, still that does not determine us from continuing to talk about it. And if you've been as married as long as I have, I think we're like somewhere around year... 18. So we've married a long, you get to a point you stop counting. Um, so we married a long time. So there comes a point in your relationship, with, it's not only marriage, it's true of friends, where you can see the person's eyeballs roll back in their head as their soul dies, as once again, they're about to be subjected to another conversation about something that you love and they care nothing about. Come on, somebody with me. This happened to me this week, a little bit of a funny story at my expense for your laughter. I was in my local supermarket. You guys know uh, which one this is. Come on, little. And I was uh, running in real quick after work. I had to go home to pick something. I was doing the bread and milk run. Come on, everybody. The bread and milk run. Why is there never enough bread and milk in our houses? What is wrong with this? Why is it always like we do our shopping? No one says, I'm doing a pasta run. I'm doing a tomato puree run. I'm doing a Betty Crocker's brownie cake run. It's like, it's always bread and milk. So I was in a bread and milk run and I bumped into a friend that I hadn't seen in years. And so we're just chatting, catch up, doing the thing. And all of a sudden he asked me a question that kind of, uh, how would you say, invited an answer which involved me speaking about something I love. Most of you don't know this in Navind and Dock Rubin. You're going to be shocked here. But I actually love the game of golf. Don't judge me. I know I'm up here and I'm all like, you know, long hair, long beard, we're playing, like smacking them out kind of thing. But I also love golf. And I don't like to talk about it too much because I don't even judge me, but I do. And so this friend of mine, he's like, oh, I just got into golf. And I was like, oh, really? <laughs> yeah. And, and he started talking. And then I realized as he was talking, it wasn't like he'd been out to the driving range once. It's he's really getting into it. So at this point, I'm like, right, I'm jumping in head first. Well, I kid you not. 30 minutes later, third, half an hour, I'm a, I need the bread and milk, I'm in a hurry. Half an hour goes, he keeps looking down in his basket, I'm like, what's in the basket? Then I realized his ice cream was melting. And we're talking, we're talking, I'm just, you know, we're talking, and I got to a point in the conversation where, and it must have been like, I don't know, 15 minutes in, where I began to realize he's not as passionate about this as I am. But I'm having such a good time, I'm just going to keep going. 
about 20 minutes, I'm like, he seems to be looking at his watch a lot. Maybe he needs to be somewhere. But I'm a good time. I'm going to keep talking. 25 minutes go by. Now he scratches his arm, do that thing we do when you go somewhere like... And I just keep talking. After 30 minutes, like, listen, dude, my ice cream is fully melted. I, I'm like, oh, yes. Oh, sorry. Great chat. Let's do that again. Well, how do you know I'm never going to hear from that person? That person will see me in a car park and go the opposite direction because they know, oh, my gosh, I cannot get stopped again and talk about golf. It's so funny, isn't it, that when it comes to things we love, there's nothing more natural to share our love, our knowledge, our experience, our opinions about things that we're passionate about. I don't think this is a bad thing. I think, here's my hypothesis, I think where this comes from is that we want our passion, we want the things that we love to help people. We're, we're so enthralled, we're so enthusiastic, we're, it's, bringing, it's adding so much value to our lives that actually what we're wanting is we're wanting without knowing to help and invite the other person into the thing we love because we have seen the, the benefits and we've experienced the goodness and we want to share that. And I want to say today is this, the church doesn't exist to hold people. The church exists to help people. Jesus gave the gift of the church to the world, not to hold people, but to help people. So the question we're asking is, what is the purpose then of your church? Oh, sorry, microphone. What is the purpose of your church? And again, I want to say something to yours because I'm taking ownership off of me, off the organization. Hey, if you're not here, we're not it. <laughs> It takes us to be together for us to have Now, when you kind of read theology, you look at the Gospels and what Jesus teach, the theologians and scholars use a term, it's a Latin term, and the term is sunum bonum. And the sunum bonum is like the summary goal or the highest goal or the highest ideal or the highest value. And when we read the Gospels, we see that Jesus was asked the question, of all the commandments, which is the greatest? And Jesus answered, love the Lord your God, come on, while your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Even if you're not a Christ follower, you're familiar with that verse. Well, that's called the highest goal, that we as the church in first place, our first uh, purpose is to love God and to love people. Which, which, by the way, if you're here or the doc or a nav and you're not a Jesus follower, you're, you're skeptical, you're curious, you're interested, but you're uncertain as to what this thing's all about. Let me just say, there's actual value for, for your life in this. Why? Because loving God makes your life better, and loving God makes you better at life. What do I mean? Well, just come with me for a second, if you're not a believer. If you love God, then you love God's nature. Well, what is God like? God is generous. God is kind. God is patient. God is forgiving. God restores and reconciles. God does not judge people differently on the basis of their content, their character, or their skin. God judges people according to each and every individual. God is good. So if I want to, even if I'm not a believer, I want to love God and take on his attributes. Imagine being in a marriage or being an employee or being a citizen of the world that's more patient, more kind, more generous, more forgiving. That's a good thing, right? What about this? What does that look like? Uh, how does that affect your life? Well, ultimately, it's going to lead to healthier relationships. It might lead to promotion. 
It might lead to overall satisfaction. It might lead to better health. I mean, when we put God first, even not fully believing in God, and hear my heart in this, he makes our lives better. And by applying the principles of his word, he makes us better. Now, if you open your heart and, and put your trust and faith in God, not only does he make your life better, he transforms it forever. This is, what we, this is what we're saying in this series, that we want to recognize that, that the mission of the church is, number one, to know God. That we, as Jesus followers, we want to know God. We want to grow in the knowing of God. You never get to a point in your relationship with God where it's like, yep, yeah, I'm bored now. Like, I know everything to know. I've experienced everything. Like, when you follow God, when you follow Jesus, your life is one long adventure, usually consisting of two things, where I screwed up and where God is faithful. Where I screwed up and where God is faithful. And if I just didn't screw up so much, I could still see the faithfulness of God, but not have so many scars. The, the following God leads us places that we never thought or imagined. And ultimately what's so interesting is if you believe that God made you on purpose for a purpose, then think about this. The desires in your heart, the dreams that are in you, the unspoken ambitions of your soul aren't yours really. They were given to you by God. And if you believe, if you're liars to believe that those desires and dreams were given to you by God, then who better to fulfill and bring about the reality of those dreams than the one who gave those dreams? So when we grow in our knowing, I don't mean knowing like a, oh, I know of God, like I met the guy once 20 years ago. I mean an intimate, like, no, no, we're tight, we're friends. Like, you know, he, I, I, we're in relationship. Like, for example, uh, here in our Dublin locations, I have the privilege of having my, my father with me. He's here in the front row. Uh, you won't be able to see him because pitch black. But my dad is here. Come on, show appreciation my father. Come on, everybody. For the hard work he did in me and, uh, and a lot of other things as well. But, you know, but I know my dad. You know, and yesterday we were hanging out. We, we were spend some time together. And, and I'm raising my sons in a relationship where, and again, I know it's not true in a pastor. Everybody understand that. But we have an opportunity in our lifetime to change and to break, come on, the negative cycles to give our kids what we didn't have and to, and to create a better legacy. See, I, I, I know my dad and I'm in a relationship. So when we know God like that, when we have his presence in our lives, when we're reading his word, something happens in us. But not only are we called to know God, but we're also called as the church to make him known. We're called, listen carefully, our faith is not private. Listen to me. If you believe in something else, your faith private. If you're a Christian, your faith cannot be private. By definition, according to God's word, our faith must be evident in who we are, in how we live, and in what we say. If you're following Jesus, your faith, it's personal, but it's not private. It's evident in how you live publicly. So the church has a place. I mean, if we didn't get together, we couldn't be together. The church is a people. The church is a process. Without the process of us coming and growing together, we can't progress. But most importantly, the church has a purpose. And that purpose is that we would love God and love people. And our mission then is to do this 
by knowing him for ourselves, by first and foremostly having the thing that we're trying to export. It's always good, isn't it, to have the thing you want other people to have. It would make no sense for me to stand in the middle and spend 30 minutes convincing my friend how great golf is if I never played in my life. In fact, that disconnect that's often labeled hypocrisy it's one of the reasons why people push back in church. It's like, what? you don't live the thing that you want me to do. What's this all about? But when you have a real, authentic, a powerful, personal relationship with God, even though your life isn't perfect, even though you don't have all the answers, there's something worthy of export because you've imported it into your life. So knowing him is so important. But then from that, we're called to make him known. So that's the foundation for the next couple weeks, next several weeks, as we talk about what are the, the matters of mission, the mission matters of the church. Now, I'm going to turn to God's Word. If you have a, a phone, you can uh, open your camera and you can click on this QR code. And all of today's message notes, plus some bonus content, will be there uh, for you. Uh, but if you haven't already downloaded the Bible app, a U version, you can go ahead and do that. And if you're part of Lighthouse Church in Navin, in the dock, or here in Dublin, and you haven't made us your church on the app, do that because you get all the updates, including message notes, every week automatically uh, for your convenience. But again, all the notes are there today. We're going to turn then to the book of Acts, chapter 4, and we're going to read an incredible story. Now, again, just let me just give you a bit of a framework here. So Jesus was born, Jesus grew up, Jesus started his earthly ministry. It lasts about three, three and a half years. He was betrayed by Judas. Come on, most of us know the, the general gist of the story in the Garden of Gethsemane around Passover. He was handed over to the Jewish religious leaders who are called the Sanhedrin. I'll explain that in a second. Uh, he was falsely tried, falsely accused, falsely charged, led to Pontius Pilate, Pontius Pilate was manipulated by the people into crucifying him. He was crucified and he died. And what's so interesting, which is very important for today's message, is that when Jesus died on the cross, it wasn't like hundreds of thousands of people, his followers, his best and brightest, were there cheering him on, going, oh, don't worry, he's God. This, this is like, you know, you wait and see. What we realize in the Gospels is that every single one of Jesus' followers abandoned him when they watched their leader die. Because when Jesus died, the movement at that point died with him. He's buried for three days. He is risen from the dead. He appears to the disciples. Something transformative happens in the lives of his disciples, two which we're going to see in a second, Peter and John. He, uh, he appears to different people for a period of time. And then in Acts chapter 1, he ascends into heaven. Acts 2, God's spirit comes in the church. Acts chapter 3, Peter and John are walking to the local temple to worship. They see in the ground this man who'd been begging at this gate his entire life. So he'd been here every day begging because he can't walk. He's a cripple for money. And something stirred, something about the injustice, something about the, the brokenness, something about the man's pain stirred Peter up. And he said, silver or gold I have not, but what I have I give to you in the name of in the name." In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, get up and walk. At which point we'd all run away thinking, I don't even know what happens next. I mean, but the man stood up and he started walking. And because he was well known, because he was consistent in the same place with the same disability, with the same illness for years, people were like, what the heck just happened? And everyone's like, we don't know. And so they asked the guy and they go, well, apparently the name of Jesus, that guy that we killed, healed me. 
Well, of course, this caused an absolute turmoil in the city of Jerusalem because the, the religious leaders, they, they thought they'd successfully snuffed out this movement with the killing of Jesus. But now standing before them, they have a man who claims to be healed in his name. So they call for another religious trial, the same trial that a few weeks earlier convicted and killed Jesus. Except this time, two of his followers, Peter and John, are standing in front. And they're looking for, they're interrogating them, looking for an answer as to what happened. And obviously, Peter and John, if they, we don't see it uh, explicitly, but we can read into the text, <laughs> they're probably thinking, man, we could end up going the same way our leader did just a few weeks ago if we're not careful. We say, so they had a choice to back down and be quiet, to hide their faith, to hide knowing God and making it known, or to seize the opportunity and to recognize the purpose of their lives, the purpose of the church, was to lift up and let the name of Jesus be known. So, verse 5, the story begins. It says this, Acts 4, verse 5. The next day, the rulers, the elders, and teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Uh, we're told that Annas, the high priest, was there, and so were Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and the other men of the high priest family. Now again, why are these names being mentioned? Well, because the book of Acts was written by a historian called Luke. And the reason why he referenced people and roles and places was so that if people wanted to fact check this event, it wanted to go back and see, did this actually happen? It wasn't like some dude in some place at some time, it was like, no, no, go back and check the minutes for when the high priest Annas met there. Caiaphas was there, John. Like the board was there. There's minutes. Go back and fact check. This actually happened. And what's so interesting is, like I said, uh, Peter and John are before the same council that could potentially crucify them, just like Jesus crucified. We're told, though, in verse 7, they had Peter and John brought before them, and they began to question them. Here's the question. By what power or what name did you do this? So they're thinking, you did this. Peter and John are thinking, oh, no, I didn't. And they're saying, what was the base? What was, what was the magic? What was the power? What was the source of this perceived source? Now, let me backtrack. I mentioned the word Sanhedrin. So the Sanhedrin, if you grew up in church, we heard that word mentioned a lot, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. The Sadducees were a group of rich leaders, elders, Pharisees, scholars, and 70 of them roughly made up a religious council called the Sanhedrin. Here's a photo of what our picture, a painting, a portrait of what it would look like. And so they would have sat like this, 35 on each side. The high priest would have kind of governed the, the room. There would have been clerks who took minutes. This is why Luke is referencing this. And the accused would stand before the high priest in his throne and these 35 angry elders who are all wanting the same thing, your death and no resurrection. And so Peter and John find themselves standing before it's the same religious council that unlawfully killed Jesus. And they're asked, how did you do this? Now, how many, how many have ever done something in life that was like completely flukish? Like you, you did something that shouldn't have happened, but you, maybe you rescued a cat in a tree or you kicked that winning goal or you won the lottery. If you did, come talk to you afterwards. Like you did something and it's like, how did you do that? And it's like, I don't know. Because it's almost like it wasn't me. And of course, in this case, it clearly wasn't them. It was the power of the Holy Spirit. That's why the question is, by what 
name. This is so interesting. Why? Because the question by what name infers this idea that a name carries authority. Like, for example, if someone stopped, if, if you're driving home today and I pull you over and I walk up and I lean in your, your window, yes, and I go, well, what's the crack? And you're like, grand. And I'm like, show us your license there. You're like, maybe you're like, okay, pastor, it's a bit weird. Then I'm like, okay, I'm going to find you. And you're like, what? And I'm like, yeah. And it's like, what do you mean? It's like, I'm going to find you. I'm going to find you a thousand euro. And here's my IBAN and big address. Have it in by next Friday. You're thinking, what is that guy on? Like, seriously, I didn't know you should do drugs and go to church. It's like, what's, you think I'm crazy. Why? Because in that context, my name has no authority. But if a person with a blue and yellow uniform, with Angardi Shiachana shows up and says, you're getting fined, how many know you're getting fined? You can talk about it, you can argue. Let me, tell you, let me give you some good advice. In life, don't argue with police. Yes, sir. No, ma'am. I'm sorry. My mistake. My bad. Thank you. Walk away. Okay. That's just free. But, but if you're hoping to marry the person you love, and Angardi Shiakana show up your wedding, that's not a good thing. That's, that's the wrong authority in the wrong place. You need someone like me. Because I stand there and say, with the power vested in me. What power? By, by the power of the state that's licensed me as a minister, I pronounce you husband and wife. See, in the title, there's an inferred authority. And depending on the title, the, the, the level at which the title carries determines the amount of authority it carries. So here's the question we're asking. What was the name that made this healing possible? And this is very important because if you're a skeptic in Dundalk or Nav and you're not a, not a Jesus follower here in Dublin, let me ask you this. What authority is there right now in the world that has the power to make a man who's been crippled from birth walk again? Because the last time I checked, there isn't a guard. There isn't a judge. There isn't a TD. There isn't even a doctor. There isn't a scientist. There isn't even a mad entrepreneur like Jeff Bezos or Elon There's no name on the earth right now that could speak to someone and see them completely healed. And what's interesting is 2,000 years ago, there wasn't either. And here's the interesting thing. There was something about the courage of Peter and John that made them ask the question. Clearly it wasn't in you. So what, what's the trick? What's the, how did you do this? And it makes me ask the question of myself. I want to ask it of you too in all three locations. When was the last time Someone asked you, why did you do that? When was the last time someone saw you do something that was irrational from a selfish perspective that could only be possible because the Spirit of God lives in you and they saw that unusual kindness, that overwhelming generosity, that sacrificial servanthood, that patience under attack, and they said, man, why did you do that? We're going to be asking you, today in Dublin and in Nava next week and the week after, to consider sponsoring a child. For 30 euro a month, you can literally change a person's life forever. When's the last time you said, you know what, I'm going to take my profile into work, throw it on the canteen table and say, there you are. Everyone goes, what? 
There you are. I don't want you guys in the weekend, but in the weekend, I heard of this great organization that helps rescue children in poverty by giving them nutritious meals, putting them in safe contexts, giving them clothing when needed, educating them, breaking the cycle of poverty so they can create a better legacy. What did you do? It's like, watched the game, had a beer. It's like, good. It's like, I'm not saying we should, we, should, we should flaunt it or we should look for attention, but what I'm saying is when we're passionate about what God is doing, we talk about it. When we're passionate about the purpose that God has on our church, we walk in it. And even if we don't talk about it, people see it. Peter and John weren't looking for fame. They weren't looking for it. They just wanted to help that poor man in his poor state. When's the last time you and I did something for God to help others that made people around us go, why'd you do that? It's almost like people will say, gosh, you shouldn't have given that money. You shouldn't have drove over there. You shouldn't, you shouldn't have helped them because it's almost like in our serving God, people feel bad that they only care about themselves. Yeah. Story continues in verse 8. Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers, and notice how he speaks with respect. This is really interesting. These are the same guys that just killed his leader, but still he speaks with respect. Rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness. If we've been called to account for an act of kindness shown to a cripple and are asked, how was he healed? This is very interesting because Peter recognizes, man, he's in a challenging position. But in his challenge, Peter saw an opportunity. He's thinking, man, are they really going to kill me for a simple act, it has to go in his head, a simple act of kindness. In that moment, he could have chosen to stay quiet. He could have chosen to deny it. He could have chosen to say, talk to my solicitor. He could have, he could have chosen lots of things. But we're told, with respect, he spoke. And because with respect and in courage, he spoke, watch this, God supplied Every time we're challenged to give an explanation for our faith and we speak with respect, with respect but also with conviction. Understand that having, respecting other people's views doesn't mean we believe ours any less. Listen to me. If you're in Dublin, if you're in Dublin, Navin Dock, if you're, watch, if you're in this room and you believe something different than me, listen carefully. I respect you but I disagree with you. Like, respect doesn't mean we all have to believe the same thing. Otherwise, what is there to respect? We're all the same. We all believe the same thing. We can treat people with dignity, and we can disagree with their point of view. We can treat them with dignity, but disagree on their doctrine. And every time we, as Jesus followers, come on all three locations, are challenged to speak up for our faith, and we do so with conviction and passion, God supplies a grace. Remember years ago, I'm going to show you a photograph. Here's a bridge in my hometown of Carlo. Beautiful old Carlo, everybody, or Carla, as we say. I remember one time, I was only a Christian for a short time. I was a teenager, 
and I was walking downtown. You know, when the, when the work, come on, one of the worst things with teenagers is walking downtown by yourself. It's like people are going to see me by myself. There's something uh, vulnerable when you're a teenager being alone. You feel safer, come on, in the pack, with the group, with the band. And people had found out that I'd become a Jesus follower, and God had really done something in my life. And so people, whenever they saw me, would try to take the opportunity to challenge me. And one day, I was walking across the bridge. I bunched, jumped a bunch. I, what's we're looking for? That chums a bunch of people now. Bumped into a bunch of people. Thank you, Lord, for that word. And in the group was a friend, you know, who was a Muslim. And he's like, well, so come here, Corcoran. Tell us, what do you believe? In the middle of the street. In front of all my friends. And the guy happened to be a Muslim. Which going back 20 odd years ago, that was not as common as now. And it just charged the situation far more than I was comfortable. And if I'm honest, something inside of me died. Like it died and God zapped it and brought back to life and I killed it again. And God, and I killed it again. I'm like, no God, let it be. Let the dead stay dead. Like just let it die so I can just continue on and survive this horrible moment. But I sensed that in that moment for all my friends in the middle of town, this was a test. Because this is more than just giving an answer. This was me determining what kind of Jesus follower would I be? Because surely this is not gonna be the only time in my life I will be challenged for having a different perspective or a different faith than others. So, so what say me kind of to myself, I was saying. And so I decided to engage in the conversation respectfully Nothing magical happened. No one got saved. There is no happy ending in the story other than in that moment, I made a crucial choice about me. And from that moment, so I've tried my best to stay consistent in this choice. When people ask me what I believe, I will not be ashamed of the gospel. I will not shy away about talking about Jesus. I will not apologize for my values and I will not shrink back at the expense of my, what I believe in order to accommodate other people. I will love people. I will respect people. I will treat people with dignity, but I follow Jesus. He has changed my life. He has transformed my family. He has healed me. He has set me free. He sustains me. His grace is so good to me and there is no way in heck I'm ever going to hide what my God has done for me. Now, again, I want to say it's easy. The reason why I chose that story, because there is no, like, revival at the end of the story. Nothing happens. But something happened in here. And even though I wasn't standing in front of a religious council, it certainly felt like it was your own peer group. Let me tell you, I made a choice on that bridge. I was going to talk about God. Now, I didn't realize at that point that I'd end up doing what I'm doing now for the rest of my life. As far as I was concerned, at that age, I was going to go off to rugby and go to university and get a job and have money and all the things that we want when we're young and selfish. And it's like, no, no, my, my life has a higher purpose. There's nothing wrong with playing, nothing wrong with having education, nothing wrong with having money, nothing wrong with having things, but there's something wrong when those things have me to the point where I'm not prepared to lose them for the one who gave me everything. So Peter, in this moment, verse 10, he continues. This is incredible courage. He says, then know this. I love this. Then know this. You and all the people of Israel. It is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, 
whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. What courage. It's like, you killed him, but God raised him from the dead. It's like, you tried your best. You suck. Uh, God's better. It's like, you, he, this man is healed because of you. If you hadn't killed Jesus and he hadn't risen, then we wouldn't have experienced him. And then we wouldn't have found the courage to speak on his behalf. And because he rose the dead and defeated sin, death, hell, and the grave, there is authority in his name to heal every broken person, every broken body, and every broken soul. This man is a living testimony of the power of resurrection. And then he goes on to quote, because again, it's a religious council, verse 11, Psalm 118. He said, he is the stone you builders rejected. These guys are supposed to be the builders of God's people, the leaders of God's people, but they abdicate responsibility. So the stone that they thought wasn't good enough, wasn't worthy enough, didn't belong and threw away, we're told, has become the stone, the most important stone, the foundation of the entire house. Here's the answer, Peter says. You want to know by what name? You want to know by what already? The answer is a resurrected Jesus. And again, what's so challenging about what he says, even in today's context, again, uh, Dublin Navin and the dog was challenging in our culture, and it's very countercultural, is because not only, what Peter is saying is not only that Jesus saves. I mean, we can go, oh yeah, I mean, you're a Christian, believe Jesus saves. But Peter said, no, no, not only does Jesus save, but that only Jesus saves. It's not like, yeah, like I have my own faith, my own corner, and then we can all coexist in perfect harmony, and we can all like, you know, believe the same thing, and one day come by out. No, there is one name. There is one name under which man shall be saved, and it is the name of Jesus. And again, if you're here, or you're in the dock or Navin, and you're not a Jesus, I'm not saying, I'm not trying to be pushy, okay? I'm just talking about the thing that I love, my God. His people, the church, and the purpose to which he's put on my life. And if you'd allow me, I'm just sharing my heart that what drives me is to see people come to know the same God that knew and saved me. And to continue in the same legacy as the Apostle Peter. Not just, hey, by the way, Jesus is an option on the card. Jesus, we believe, is the only way. That's why he says in verse 12, he says, famous verse, salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. There is no other way because there's no other name. There's no other name. There's no other name that can heal, no other name that can restore. There's no other name that can raise people up from death. It's the name of Jesus. And because there's no other name, there is no other way. This is God's plan. God's plan for the world is that we would know his name. God won't force people or coerce people or won't manipulate people. The job of the church isn't to hold people, to help people. But as many, to as many as would be open to hear and believe, God's plan is people would come to know his love. That is our purpose. That is our witness but it's God's work. We can't change anyone's life. Peter didn't, didn't heal the man. Peter spoke the name of Jesus. And when he spoke the name of Jesus, the power of a resurrected Jesus touched that man's body and made him well. Now, as we get ready to close, you know what the coolest part of the story is? It's one more verse. 
The coolest part of the story is that there's a bigger miracle than the cripple being healed. Watch this. And I think this is the way Luke captures this. The greatest miracle in this story wasn't that a cripple walked, but the courage which with Peter and John spoke. Why? Can I just bring it back to context? What happened a few weeks ago? Their leader stood in the same group in front of the people, and they watched political corruption at a national level unfold to where this beautiful person, this wonderful leader, Jesus, even though thousands loved him and followed him and you know, listened to him and all the different things that he did, they watched as they manipulated the system to their benefit to kill him. And they had every right, as you and I would be, to be terrified. But in their challenge, they saw an opportunity. When they were asked, they spoke and God supplied. And it's that very courage, that willingness to step into their purpose, their extraordinary purpose, and to speak up that most moved the Sanhedrin. Verse 13. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished. Like, there's a dude standing in front of them who's been healed. That's pretty incredible. But watching these guys who literally weeks ago ran for their lives. Peter literally said, I don't know Jesus three times. It's the same Peter. What's happened in Peter's life that gives him the conviction to stand in front of the same murderous bunch of corrupt leaders, but now say, I not only know the guy, but I speak his name because he has changed me and he is changing the world. And this is my extraordinary purpose. What gives a man that level of conviction? What well, it says, they were, and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. Here's the bottom line. A changed person will always convince people of Christ's power. They themselves may not believe Christ's power for themselves, but people may argue your theology, but they cannot argue your testimony. I stand before you, Lyle's Church, Dublin, Navin, and then Dock. Changed man. Transformed man. What did I do? Nothing. I made a decision in a hotel room in Heidelberg, Germany, over 20 years ago. My dad was there with me, playing rugby, to follow Jesus. I'm going to put my trust in Jesus. I'm going to read his word. I'm going to just be obedient to his direction. I don't have answers. I don't know anything. I didn't know many Christians. I'm just going to follow Jesus. Little did I realize that in following Jesus' purpose, I was actually finding my path and my purpose. As we close, my friends, your church has a purpose. We heard about the Sunum Bonum earlier. Let me tell you, this is your summo proposito. If the Sunum Bonum is the highest goal, then this is your highest purpose. It's the number, if you're a Jesus follower, listen carefully, if you're a Jesus follower, this is the reason why you live and breathe. This is the highest purpose. Yes, work. Yes, play. Yes, have friends. Yes, go to the pub. Yes, do all. Yes, live. Yes, yes, yes. But the highest purpose of your life 
if you're a Jesus follower, the thing that we call inspiring the extraordinary, bing. You know, we call inspiring the extraordinary is to know him for yourself and to make him know. There's a story as I finish, I was reading a while back about the World War II leader, Winston Churchill. Most of us are familiar about how the, the uh, English, the British, over, they were facing this overwhelming uh, German force that outnumbered them, I don't know, in some cases, as much as 10 to 1. And needing coal to keep the war effort going, to fight for their survival, uh, it was Minister Don Shelby, I don't know if he's relative, relative to Thomas Shelby, uh, recalled an incident out of the illustrious life of Winston Churchill, which underscores the need for a goal or purpose. It was in the critical days of World War II and England faced the need for increased coal production. The Prime Minister called a meeting of labor leaders to give them the facts and to enlist their support in his inimitable way using imagination and power, powerful oratory. He closed his presentation by picturing in their minds a parade which would surely be held in Piccadilly Circus in London when the war was over. There would come the men of the Royal Navy, whom everyone would know had kept the vital sea lanes open. They would pass the army, who had come home from Dunkirk and then gone on to defeat Rommel in Africa and fight under Montgomery in Berlin. Then would come the Air Force, who had driven the Luftwaffe out of the sky and beat them at its own game. Then, he said, last of all, will come a great host of sweat-stained, soot-streaked miners. Someone would cry out from the crowd, where were you? And 10,000 trolls would answer, we were deep in the earth with our faces against the coal. Winston Churchill sat down to a wildly cheering throng, many tears running down their cheeks. We see the man at the top had shown the power of purpose, the need for a goal, and how everyone working together would bring about certain victory. There'll be a day where we'll be in a parade, and it won't be the St. Patrick's Day parade. Well, maybe St. Patrick will be there in heaven. And someone will say, where were you? I'll say, man, I was in Dublin, I was in Navan, I was in the dock. And what we'll see there are people, hopefully in their thousands, whose lives were changed because we spoke up. So as we build this series, I want you to contemplate this for your life. Let me give you three practical next steps, and then we're going to pray. So what, I mean, okay, wow, whew, that's a lot. What, give me some handles. What can I do practically to make this a reality? Number one, choose a place. In other words, make time to know God. If you're not in a connect group, get in a connect group. If you haven't spoken to our Next Steps team, talk to them in any location after service. If you've never heard about soaping, the thing that we do in our church, journaling, reading God's Word, if you've never done a Bible reading plan on the Bible, like if you need help, come. We want to help you. Life is complicated. We want to help. But we need, as Christians, to be Christians, to follow Jesus. I know life is busy. I know life is hard. I know maybe not every day it works out, but if we can get most days, obviously every day will be ideal where we can choose a place 
to be in God's presence, to experience, to have something imported before we export, to be reminded of his powers. That's what we do every Sunday. And every Sunday in Navin and Dock, in all of our locations, we try to inspire you, to help you, to show you, to remind you, to speak over you the things that God believes, thinks, and feels towards you. You can have that every day by opening God's word for yourself. It's not hard. And if you're a bit lost or a bit confused, we want to help you. And if you need accountability, that's why you need a connect group. Some friends that can, we can, that can help each other find and follow God. Number two, chat to people. Like, come on. We live in Ireland. We talk nonsense all the time. All the time. How many times a day are you going to talk about the weather? Who cares? It's raining. How about we level up the quality of our conversation and find tactful and creative ways to export what God has given us in Jesus? Here's a great one. How did your weekend go? I went to church. What? Yeah. And besides this crazy long haired Irish dude that shouted for a long time, there was an amazing organization called Compassion. And you don't have to be a Christian to have the desire to help children who are suffering. That's a great conversation. Just, just take every opportunity to make God known. Number three, this is especially for you guys who right now don't know Jesus personally for yourselves. You're on the fringes. Maybe you've come in a while, it's your first time, and you're just uncertain. I want to I I invite you, challenge you, to call upon his power. Where is his power? In his name. Call upon his name. If you call upon the name of Jesus and nothing happens, good for you. You were right, and we're all mad. If you call upon his name and he answers, then everything about everything changes. And God does not take uh, satisfaction in proving you wrong. He wants to help you and heal you and give you hope. Why not open your heart and know God? This is why we exist, to know God and to make him known. If we don't, then who will? If we don't pray, who will? If we don't serve, who will? If we don't speak of the name of Jesus, who will? If we don't sponsor these children, who will? If we don't in our day give up our lives to make this world a better place, who will? To inspire the extraordinary means, I know God. And I give my life to make him known.